All right, now it's official. I want to welcome everybody to the first ever episode of Coffee with Shannon. And this is a special episode, not just because it is the very first one of many to come, but because we have presidential candidate, Anthony Hudson with us today. How are you Hello, today, Anthony? I'm doing good, Shannon. I'm doing really well. I, and I know you're gonna ask me some really tough questions in this interview. and. I just kind of want to throw this out there that I do know what a double over transmission is, uh, you know, and, and I just want to clarify, clarify that for people so they understand we're not playing around. It's, it is a transmission that has two or three gears that are over direct. So uh, hopefully you'll find some humor in that and we're prepared for your, your questioning here. You know, just from that alone, I am ready to vote for you for president. I will <laughs> gladly take it with a smile. Also with us today, we have Otis Cooper. Otis, say hello. Hey, guys. How are you doing? And we have Randy Harden with us as well. Say hello, Randy. Well, hello, everyone. Hope everyone is well. Wonderful to hear from you. And last but certainly not least, we have Mr. Kevin Duncan, a friend and I believe campaign manager. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. You are correct. Uh, I love those words um, of Mr. Anthony Hudson. All right, guys. So we are going to go ahead and just jump right into it. My first question for you is what makes a man a good man? A lot of times when someone comes to fulfill a leadership position, you know, we all say, you know, he's a good man. Um, she's a great woman. In your opinion, what sets apart a good man? from just a regular everyday joke? Well, 
when I, when I think about what, what a good man means to me, I think a, a good man is a man of principle, morals, and integrity. But to go a little bit deeper, three words come to mind for me, uh, and it, it spells RAC, R-A-C. A good man is filled with responsibility, accountability, and understands and faces consequences of their actions. So uh, that, those are three words that not only do I live by, but my support uh, for my campaign, we all believe in those uh, those three words, responsibility, accounting, accountability, and consequences. So I believe if you live by that, you're a good man and you're, you're doing your job. You know, I, I have to agree. I think a lot of people these days forget that while you do have freedom to choose, you don't always have freedom from those consequences. So that is a wonderful uh, set of rules to live by. I'm, I'm impressed with that. Now, you got me smiling. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. We're having fun today. We're not, we're not here to, to scare anybody. So um, let's, let's talk about the American dream. That's something that has been, you know, that thing has been around for, gosh, eons. You, you, you think American dream and you, you picture the 50s and a happy home and, you know, your people are thriving and doing well. How does the American dream, that American dream, how does that transfer into 2024? And how are we going to protect that, not only for, you know, the next generation of truckers or Americans, but the next generation of American truck drivers? Well, in my opinion, to, to protect it means to protect the pursuit of happiness in this country. It is one of uh, one of the main reasons a lot of people want to come to the United States is to change their life and have a better quality of life for them and their family. And that's because of the pursuit of happiness. And I know that the older generation truck driving was a major industry. It still is today. It's the largest industry in this country. It's the heartbeat of this country. So I would say that we need to, uh, when we're looking at new drivers and young folks coming into this industry, that we need to educate the drivers and offer them new resources and guidance. Um, if they if they want to be owner operators, then I think that we need to set aside new programs for them, put those programs into place where financing, lower rates, and better terms can help help get them started and get them on the road because. At the end of the day, this used to be a very profitable industry. And with the changes that are in place right now, it limits us. It kind of handicaps us. So we kind of want to redefine trucking and get back to what worked yesterday instead of what we're currently experiencing today. I am very impressed. Just building off of that question, um, we know now because of the regulations set in place that if you would like to have obtain a CDL, that you need to go through a driving school, even though people such as my husband, who have been driving for well over 20 years and have had a CDL in good standing for well over 20 years, if he wanted to have a different endorsement put on his CDL, such as HAZMAT, he would have to go back to school. So I'd love to know what your opinions on driving schools are, and if you have any plans to put structure or regulations in place for those driving schools. Um, you know, I, I like the idea of a, of a driver having to go through a, a truck driving school. Um, I think that they can get the education that they need. We Because we have a lot of drivers that are kind of just shouldn't be behind the wheel of a truck. But we, I think that 
going through a driving school that has the proper curriculum that can help the drivers learn um, what it is they need to do. I mean, uh, I want to get rid of all these puppy mill schools that um, that are out there and, and, like I said, focus on creating a curriculum that would teach the, the full responsibilities of what a professional driver uh, should know. Uh, I, I think that the safety compliance is behind the truck is the most important. We need to have drivers understand, um, major, to me, their major concerns. If a driver can't back up and, and properly hook a trailer to a truck or know how to adjust their brakes when they need to. Uh, it's also frustrating to see flatbed drivers out there that don't know how to tarp or strap down their loads properly. And we want to teach this. We want to give the right curriculum so that when they graduate from the school, whether it's with an endorsement or a full CDL, that they have the proper training to take their loads out on the highway and, and represent the industry in a, in a well-mannered fashion. Boy, I, uh, I don't know if you've got like a little leprechaun sitting next to you, just typing out the perfect answers for you to read off of like, what do they call those things? The projectors you read off of, but my goodness. <laughs> That was, I'm impressed with that because I agree. Uh, puppy mill driving schools are, they're a problem. While our industry is so desperately needing help, you know, there's, there's, everybody knows about the ongoing crisis, not just in the trucking industry for lack of jobs, but, you know, or black people being able to fill these jobs, I should say rather. It, it's hard when you have these people coming in to fulfill a need that create such a dangerous environment, not just for other truck drivers, but for the public. So I, I love that you take it seriously because it's, it is a serious issue and some mature, responsible decision-making on that part could go a very, very long way. Right. And, you know, I okay. think, I think what we, what we missed here is that I actually own a small trucking company in Michigan. So being a part of the trucking family I'm a second generation truck driver. I drove truck when I was in the service. And now that I'm out on my own with a small business, uh, I can I can see what some of these restrictions are doing to our drivers. I can see that people are frustrated and I firsthand know that there's a better way uh, that we can get back to driving truck uh, in a professional manner where it's well-respected. Uh, I think people should know that if you want representation in Washington, you have a candidate that is running for president who also owns a trucking company. I think it's fair to say that. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I, and this is just my personal humble opinion. I think we are so far overdue for having somebody in the office that isn't delusional, whether you are somebody from the trucking community or just a small business owner and, you know, small town USA, you can appreciate the fact of a real person who has had to make decisions of, do I pay the light bill this week or do I buy groceries? Somebody like that in office who understands the struggles of, you know, what, 97% of the country? I, I think it is beyond necessary by this point that we have somebody in office that can relate to the majority of the country, the struggles they're having and the tools they need to persevere. Right. I agree 100%. And throughout the last six or seven months that I've been announcing that I was running there, 
there's a lot of people that just support the fact that I am a blue collar truck driver in this country. Um, blue collar is the background of this country. It's what makes this country run. And they have the most powerful voice in the world if they'll use it. And so our biggest challenge is reaching out to them and letting them hear our story and hear what we stand for, that we are all about putting the people first. And we are concerned with those who used to make $80,000 a year are now somewhat at the bottom end of the blue collar society or have lost their homes or their cars because they can't afford it. You know, we didn't foresee this happening three, four, five years ago when we bought our homes or when we bought our cars and the struggle is real. And I just don't think that there's anyone in Washington that has ever had to deal with middle America and understand what it is we go through to live in this country and what it's like to have our, our rights taken away from us. So that's the, that's the, uh, the recipe of why I'm running for president in 2024 is to give this country back to the hardworking American men and women that, that work so hard um, to make it, you know, we, we work our butts off so that they can have it easy in Washington, D.C., and it's time to replace those folks with good, hardworking American people and take back our our country. I, I absolutely agree. Something that we can connect on is um, both of our fathers were dump truck drivers. Both of my parents actually were truck drivers, um, aunts, uncles, grandparents. I married a truck driver. It's So that's, those are some of the best people I have ever met in my life. Some of the best people I've ever met have come from this industry. Now, don't get me wrong, they, we've got some screwballs running around. Um, they're like our weird third cousin, like technically we claim them, but not really. Right. These, like you said, it's the heartbeat of the nation. These are the people that work 12, 16 hours a day to make their world turn. So I was, I was gonna ask you why you wanted to become president, but Boy, you spelled it out just so beautifully. Speaking <laughs> uh, on your campaign and all the cool things you've been doing, you were just down in Eagle Pass, Texas. Um, I was able to see some of your lives and I could not believe some of the footage you guys saw, just, just your experience down there in general. What would you say was your biggest takeaway from that trip? Um, well, first, I, you know, you're talking about the live shows that we had. We had them on TikTok, where I have almost 200,000 followers uh, on one of my TikTok pages. And a lot of people were asking me about the southern border, if I was going to go, what, you know, could I go and, and, and show the truth about what's happening? Because the people in this country, we deserve the truth. As hard as we work, we deserve the truth. So... When we were on the on the lives, we were able to get, you know, back behind the scenes a little bit as to where this immigration is really coming from. We had uh, security detail with us. Um, we were able to film a few immigrants come across the river uh, and watch the actual process uh, that happens once they step on American uh, soil. Which is uh, and, incredible. And it, it is, you know, you, you watch the news and you think that they get out of the river and they get put on a bus and they get shipped to Chicago or Washington, D.C. or New York or whatever. But that's not the case. Uh, after going down to the border, my eyes are open. I know more of what's happening. 
these people, when they cross the river, they're taken into custody and they're put in an uh, NGO facility, a non-governmental organization facility uh, for up to 72 hours. And in that process, they are given a place to sleep. They're given food. They're given water. They get a medical clearance and then they get interviewed and they find, you know, we're, we're trying to gather as much information about these people as we can, uh, where they're from, where they're going. Do they have family in this country or whatnot? And then the NGO is paying for these people to get on a bus and go to these other, you know, remote cities. Uh, it's not the taxpayer's money the way we think it is. Yes, it's the taxpayers paying for the military to apprehend them and guard the border uh, with Border Patrol and the local law enforcement. But the stuff behind the scene is paid for by a nonprofit organization. And I think that message needs to be heard. People will kind of simmer their temperature a little bit when they find out we're not 100% paying for these immigrants. Um, I, but, I had no idea. You think of people crossing the border and you you're painted this picture of almost a warlike scene. You are, and it's, it's, it's a very controlled environment on our side of the border. And, you know, the legal immigration consists of crossing one of the two bridges in Eagle Pass, Texas. You, you have bridge one or bridge two. You walk over the bridge, come into Border Patrol, and then you start the process. However, they only take around 50 immigrants a day seeking asylum on the bridge. So there is a point in time where CBP, the Border Patrol, will go out to the middle of the bridge and turn them away. When we turn them away, that's when they seek another alternate route to the United States, which in this case would be walking across the river, uh, which puts their lives in danger. We saw women with six to eight month year old babies or eight month old babies and six to seven, eight year old kids crossing the river with them. Very dangerous. You know, you've oh, got people you've got people in the bushes that are watching to make sure they get across. Uh, the cartel is involved. They've got, quote unquote, coyotes that come out into the water with the immigrants and show them where they need to go. And then the coyote will retreat back to uh, the Mexican bushes and, and you never see them again. But it's a very calm and respectful process once they get into the United States. Our military is very professional. Uh, they're understanding, they're caring. Uh, but this doesn't change my mind about having stricter rules to come into the United States for asylum or, you know, maybe making immigration a little less expensive or less time consuming to get into the country. There, there are people that need help, but our national security comes before any of that. So I just want people to understand that we saw it firsthand. And although we're human and we have hearts and we care about some of these stories, protecting our borders and controlling what happens at our borders is a top priority for me. And it, it should be. I We live in some of the craziest times. Like, I swear once a week, you, it's like a bingo card going off. Who had the volcano eruption? Who had, you know, it's it's just, it's insane though. We're always being topped with some new news story that we thought we would never experience. Right. So I especially think that national security, it has to be a priority. However, it sounds like you also have so much compassion for people looking to have a piece of that American dream we were just talking about. 
It, it, and that's true because I, you know, I was raised in Texas. Uh, you know, I had good morals coming up, I believe. I, I served in the military for a short time, uh, which also, you know, puts a lot of discipline uh, in, into someone when you, when you serve our country. A lot of respect. You know, you're taught to be honorable and respectful and loyal. Um, and I carry that with me in my everyday life because that's how I want people to see me in business or coaching baseball or watching my son play basketball or whatever. I want to be respected and looked upon in a positive manner. And I think that's how I want to lead this country by example, not by luxury. I don't want to sit and hide behind my desk. I want to be out there helping the American people. And I think I showed that by going to Eagle Pass. And we have a couple of destinations that I wish we could be at at the same time. Uh, the tornadoes in Alabama that just hit the ground and, and, and killed a bunch of people and destroyed uh, homes in multiple counties. And we have the flooding in California. And as president of the United States, I would be in these locations offering my assistance, not hiding behind a suit and tie or going on vacation like uh, our current president did when Kentucky was having those issues with the flooding. And you went to Kentucky, did you not? We did. Uh, my uh, my fiance and I, we went down and met uh, an organization down there in Kentucky, in Hazard, Kentucky. And again, we spent four days there and we probably met 1,200 people. Uh, I assisted in demolishing a home and pulling it out to the road for an 82-year-old man who was living on his front porch because he could not get into his home after the water had came in and pushed everything around and it had been sitting like that for two weeks. So it was very mildewy and moldy and nasty. This so elderly gentleman was living on his front porch for two weeks, two weeks. And uh, yes, he was 80, 82 and he was all of about 140 pounds soaking wet. And and the, the downs, the bad side of this is, FEMA came across and offered him $185 for his entire property. He lived on about one and a half acres on a mountain and they offered him $185, but they wouldn't help get him get the house out of there and get him a new trailer on his property. And it's devastating that our government can be that cheap when it comes to our own people, but they can spend a golden penny on Ukraine and the rest of the world and just neglect to take care of American citizens. I aim to reverse that model and take care of Americans first. The rest of the world can wait until we are stable. And when we have the most precious of our citizens, our elderly citizens living on their porch for two weeks, uh, something has to change because I highly doubt that that is a unique story. In Kentucky, no, it was not a, a unique story. There were there were people that had tents uh, next to their front porch where their house used to be um, living in there. And they would be in, you know, 60s, 70s, uh, in, in that age range. Uh, there were a lot of uh, people in, our, in my age range, 46 to 50, that were cleaning out, you know, two, three feet of muck and debris that came in from the river as it rushed through. And we did everything we could. We offered uh, supplies, food, hand sanitizer. Uh, we, like I said, we tore up the one house and brought it out so FEMA would come get it. And I really think that we may not have made a big difference in the state of Kentucky, but the people in southeastern Kentucky where we were were extremely appreciative that someone 
running for office showed up because Joe Biden showed up down there for about 45 minutes and spent about 30, 35 million dollars with his security detail and flying Air Force wow. One there. So uh, we were there for four days and less than a thousand bucks and did that's, a hell of a lot more work than Biden did. That's very impressive. It it seems to me your combination of experience, whether it's down at the border, serving in the military, which by the way, I, again, my humble opinion, I do believe it should be a requirement to lead this great country because just like you said, it, it teaches so much structure, responsibility, honor, accountability. But I think a leader is made from a combination of his life experiences. That being said, Anthony, I think you are in a very unique position to lead the country. You know, and I agree with you, and I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back here. I just think that over the last couple of years, I've listened to so many people say, we need a new face. We need a new opinion. We need a new ideology. We need a, someone new to step up because what we've done traditionally no longer works. And I decided on July 8th of 2022 that I was going to stand up and be that difference. So I filed my paperwork with the FEC in July and it was accepted and approved on August 18th of 2022. And ever since that moment, all of my social media accounts have taken off. We get far more encouragement than we do hate mail. Uh, I understand you're gonna get criticism from people, but I want them to understand that hate me, despise me, disrespect me, it doesn't matter. I'll still be here fighting for them tomorrow. And that's what it's all about. We have had enough of the division in the country over every little thing. It's, I, I want to be able to say I'm proud to be an American again, because I am so proud of this country for what she stands for. But lately it's, there's been so much struggle. I, I want to say it again with so much pride in my chest that I feel like I could just burst. I am a mother and while that is not a unique situation whatsoever, I think so many other women, parents, people in general can appreciate the fact that I am terrified of what the future holds for our children. So it, it gives me a lot of hope that not only that a, an everyday person who really has an understanding of what we need is stepping up to the bat. And you know, it encourages me that you get more, more encouragement than you do negative opinions. That, that says a whole lot. It does. And you know, as we stated in the beginning of the show, it, it's about the pursuit of happiness. And I'm not running for president for fame and glory and fortune and to be wealthy and, and, and do my own selfish thing here. I'm running to be president of the United States to protect the moral foundation that this country was found upon and give, make sure that the people in this country have a better quality of life, whether it's lowering taxes, it's disbanding a federal fuel tax, or it's securing our border or implementing a, a, a change that would protect our schools uh, from the school shootings. It's, it's the integrity of the everyday American that should give us all hope to come together as one united nation to push forward and protect what tomorrow stands for. And right now, what, what we've beautiful. been doing, 
what we're doing now just doesn't work. It doesn't. It, it, there was a fair shake, you know, it's, it's been tried, but it's when something doesn't work, it's okay to go to the next logical choice. Now, talking about moral foundation and freedom of choice, I am going to ask you about every trucker's favorite little device. What yeah. are your opinions on ELDs? Do you feel that they're put out in the name of safety or is it just another way for the massively overregulated industry to have a little more control put upon them? In, in my honest opinion of the ELD, um, it, it came about because, uh, how do I say this? I mean, it needs a lot of investigation, first and foremost. We, we really need to look into uh, the ELD and who it's supposed to benefit. But I think it originally it was for companies to, to help cut down on their violations that they were getting from, from drivers, you know, not really doing logbooks the right way. Uh, I do think that there is some, some uh, safety appearance to the ELD. I don't like the idea of it as a driver myself. Um, sometimes it's hard to, to take your break or, you know, you get held over in a dock somewhere and, uh, you're off duty for so for so long. I just think it it affects your hours of operation. I think it affects your the money that you make. I, I and I I get a sense that there's a lot of drivers out there that don't like it. So I think it over and overall it needs our attention so that it's more helpful or beneficial for like our corporate drivers, our local drivers, and our owner operators. Um, I think that's fantastic that you understand that it. It, I'm not necessarily going to say change or not, but some attention paid because just like you said, it is nothing to get caught up at a dock um, in traffic I and mean, you name it in trucking and it's going to happen. So it's it, in the name of safety, they say, but sometimes when you're not only racing your delivery clock, but literally the clock on the dash, that can really add to a, the stress level where there's already such high cases of burnout. So I I really, really like the fact that um, you're, you know, it needs some consideration because it's just going to flow right into my next question for you. The trucking industry is so congested with overregulation that I think things that were originally set up in the name of safety, such as the ELD, now is more of a stressor and a problem than what it originally set out to be. Right. So what are, do you have any plans on decongesting all the regulations that are just suffocating the life out of this industry, especially for small time owner operators? Well, I mean, obviously I would like to, to look into all of these policies and find more information on what's being done. Uh, again, I represent people before politics. I, I stand with our truckers because it's, it's who I am. It's what I do to put food on the table for my family. And at the end of the day, I want to hear from our drivers out there. I want to hear what problems they have. I want to know what their issues are so that we can implement uh, policies that will benefit the drivers. Um, and I think this is the only way that you can do it is to sit back as, as the most powerful man in the world, sit back and open your ears and actually listen and interact with the industry 
and put together policies that are going to protect them so that they can be here, quote unquote, for the long haul. I think that is the perfect way to accomplish it. If you don't know a problem exists, of course you can't solve it. But when you can be accessible to the people that you were leading, that's where real change can happen. And that is so important. It's so needed. There's, it's so easy to be forgotten and drowned out these days. I mean, not, not that anybody can really do anything to solve that across the board, but if we have more intent on actually hearing what people are struggling with, such as these darn fuel prices, if being a truck driver, I know you completely understand this, but spending a week, my husband and I, we own a small one truck trucking company. Um, and we spend about a thousand dollars per day that that truck's on the road in fuel. And we have one truck. That is a crushing amount of money. Do you, have you given any thought to how you would like to handle the fuel crisis? Well, I mean, this is a great question, Shannon. It really is. And, you know, I, I don't know what I'm in for when I get into office when it comes to the fuel. Okay. We've seen gas prices go down, but we don't see diesel prices really coming down. So we, right now for me, I only know what the news tells me. Uh, so I'd really, what I'd really like to do is for you to table this question. Let me look into it a little more and that way Absolutely. I can get a, an accurate answer for you. And we can, we can bring this back uh, on the next interview or the next show when I have a definitive answer of how we could tackle that or what we could do. Perfect. I think that's stellar. Like I just said, you can't, you can't answer what you don't know. But again, the fact that you're so willing to give this attention and your time, again, this is your, you're not being paid to do this. You're not some candidate that's backed by a bunch of lobbyists. You're doing this because it is so vitally important to you. You can hear the passion in your voice. You're a father, correct? I am a father. I have a 12-year-old and, and one that turned 14 yesterday. Oh, so, my goodness. Well, happy well, birthday to them. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, this really, yesterday really hit hard for me with my son turning 14 because the day before, I was standing at Uvalde, uh, the middle school, the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, and I was so overrun with emotions as a father thinking about that moment where those kids were running down the halls and screaming and the law enforcement was standing outside, not doing anything and discombobulated, discombobulated and unsure what to do. And I was in that moment and I was able to reflect on my own life as a father and as a man. And it's overwhelming to imagine what happened. So last night was, a I made sure it was a very special moment for my son that he knows that he's loved and cared for and, and, and has, you know, I'm not going to say the best father in the world, but I, I damn sure try. Um, I, I, I would bet my last dollar that you are a wonderful father. People that want to change the world, they're rarely bad people, especially, especially if you're a parent, because our kids, they're a reason for absolutely everything, which, I mean, you just spelled out with, your time in that school, I, I cannot, what it took to be able to walk in there, I, I can't imagine. I, I, kudos to you, Anthony, that, that had to be 
extremely heavy. It was, uh, you know, and, and I'm a, I'm a proud man. I'm a, I'm a big man, you know, I'm six two, two fifty, and I plant my feet firmly on the ground and my campaign manager, Kevin was with me and we just couldn't even talk to each other when we were standing there. I just, you know, it just hits you so hard when you're standing there looking at the memorials. And I made sure on TikTok that I honored each and every one of those children by calling out their name. That's and it's, it, it, it really is a sad thing that that community had to go through that. But we are, I, I want to tell you guys with a full heart that we are working on a, a, a plan of action, a policy that would protect our schools when they when our children are there learning so that they're not spending more time focusing on how to secure a classroom. They need to secure their minds and soak up that education and prepare for tomorrow, not worry about how to brace a door or a window to keep someone from coming in. We are just dedicated to finding a solution to protect our schools all across this country. I believe that wholeheartedly. And as a mother, that is one of the most important things that a candidate could say. Because like you said, these, these kids are our future. They, they deserve nothing less than support and protection. How are we supposed to be the greatest country on earth when our children go to school in fear? So that, that makes me really, really happy to hear. I am gonna open up questioning now. Um, Cooper, Kevin, or Randy, do either of you have any questions for Mr. Hudson? I'd, I'd love to. Uh, first of all, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on this interview and uh, really honor the opportunity to have uh, just a chance to even uh, hear some of the words you're speaking there, uh, Candidate Anthony, uh, really well spoken. So thank you, first of all, to start off. You're very welcome. Thank you for attending and being a part of this. Absolutely. So one thing I want to circle back on is uh, you mentioned affordability. Now, one of the big challenges that is uh, driving a lot of individuals to stray away from re-entering into the uh, trucking industry is affordability. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that a little bit more. You know, we're seeing, you know, a lot of these manufacturers that are hiking up prices, you know, in some cases, 30, 40 percent. Um, making it much more challenging for people to get into the industry uh, just as owner operators. So if you could touch on that. Well, I think this all goes back to, you know, listening to the people and what their concerns are. And, and like most people, you know, in this industry, as an owner operator, I want to expand and buy more trucks, but I'm kind of on hold with that right now because trucks are so expensive. I think there, there should be a way that if government wants to regulate the trucking industry, they should flip the script and regulate how the production of these trucks are going in, in, into production. You know, do we need all these electronic devices in our trucks? Do we need uh, all of this fancy stuff to get a truck down the road? Uh, I don't think we do. I think a lot of people choose to drive trucks that are 2009 or older because they were built better back then. Uh, new computer components cost more money to replace uh, when they break it, when they break down. Uh, drivers are forced to work twice as much to cover the repairs. I think there should be some regulations that we put into the manufacturing of these trucks to simplify them a little bit so that they're not so expensive for us to purchase. Is this a governmental thing? 
I, I don't know. Um, but as far as I know, as far as I'm concerned, trucks never had an expiration date when I was growing up, and they sure as hell don't need one now. Well said, well said. It's certainly uh, different times, you know, back when uh, I was younger, trucks, you know, were built uh, for longevity. Now, you know, they're built for performance and like the bells and whistles, but certainly the longevity is no longer there. So well said, appreciate right. that. Thank you. No, very welcome. No, and I, and I, I get it. My father was a cattle hauler. We used to haul cattle all over Texas. And back then, he had a cab over truck, which you don't really see a lot of anymore. And the bunk for those things, the bed area was, it was nothing like what it is today. I mean, half of these trucks have bunk beds in them and it's one driver. They don't need the top bunk, um, you know, but then again, you look at Amer the American society, everyone's got to have a TV or a video game or a coffee machine or a refrigerator uh, to get down the road. And all that stuff costs more money when you go to buy a truck that is adaptable or equipped with that with those items and i don't remember my dad ever having any of that stuff when he was driving across texas and we all know it could take two or three days in some some places to get across the state of texas we never had all that we focused on the job we did the job or he did the job got paid and moved on to the next load i do have to interject um as somebody who is still drinking coffee at 1.30 in the afternoon that, you know, while everything else, the TV and a fridge, maybe not so much, but the coffee maker, but that, that is essential. <laughs> you, you can buy, you can buy an adapter and put a coffee pot in your truck. I know. You know I was you know, I just, all these uh, fancy things that they have now. I mean, that, I think that's what we're getting at is, you know, we've oh, got yeah. the, the deaf system. It comes with, yeah, I think my truck, 200 sensors in that thing and if one oh, goes out there there's a back order on them so you're down for six weeks eight weeks driving a rental truck at eleven hundred dollars a week it's ridiculous it, it almost seems like the price gouging in this country has gone way above and beyond because we know that there's an issue we know that there's inflation we know that costs have gone up and people are taking advantage of it and when we the people stand up and say no more then maybe we can we can turn the narrative and start forcing our hand instead of letting those who own bigger companies or the necessities let them control the the outcome of what we do. Stop paying eight dollars for a dozen eggs. That would be that would be pretty great. I don't think I've ever seen anything so crazy as eight dollar eggs. We haven't seen that here in Michigan, but we have seen eight dollar one pounds of meat, uh, well, and I was uh, frustrated with that and. And, you know, we call it pop out here in Michigan and a 20 ounce pop in the, in the convenience store is roughly $2 and 30 cents. I remember when those were 99 cents and we'd get them all day long. Right. Oh, say, absolutely. We don't, we don't buy that in my house anymore. We wait and get the old two liter at the grocery store because even those are a dollar fifty, two dollars a two liter. So. Absolutely. You, you have to make everything count where you can. Just because I am a South Dakota girl in the middle of cattle country, I've got to give a big fat nod to all our farmers and ranchers and say, if you want good beef, that is delicious and far more cost effective than what you're going to find in the large supermarkets. Buy your beef locally. It helps your community and it helps your bank account. 
a little local commercialing there. I get That's it. That's right. That's <laughs> I mean, if any radio stations are hiring, no, I'm just kidding. But um, it's just, that's another, when everybody is doing the best they can to make those pennies go as far as they can, keeping your money local, whether it's, um, you know, the local mom and pop grocery store, the the boutique, you know, on your little main street, I say little main street, because I live in a town of 6,000 people, um, supporting your local ranchers, you know, when you help your community thrive, it, it, it goes so far. There's a reason they say change starts at home. Right. And, and, you know, I firmly believe that we need to take care of our own before we start policing and funding the rest of the world. And if you do the math, you know, and, I, and I'll challenge the people who are listening to the show, um, $1.7 trillion for the year of 2023, uh, tack that onto what we've already sent Ukraine alone and divide that by 330 million Americans. And that's what each that's what the government should have given to our uh, our small communities, our people, our our nation so that we could reinvest that money back into businesses, expansion, farmland. Um, you know, so farmers can get new equipment and grow more crops, which would give us a better food supply. You know, we could put that money back into the hands of the people and they are in turn going to reinvest it back into the country. But we're not giving the Americans a chance. We're sending it to the rest of the world in this in, in the lump sum of forty billion dollars to put up border security walls around the Middle East when we have our own border problems. So I completely agree. We have well, I do believe um, in being charitable and having a conscience and helping where you can when home is not even surviving. I mean, people, it is, this is some of the worst economy, hard times that people have seen in generations and it's not looking to get any better. So, you know, taking that and thinking about it in a positive way. And just like you said, investing in, you know, local community libraries in our local schools, you know, when you create construction jobs to rebuild roads and bridges, you know, you're, you're keeping those blue collar men and women, you're keeping food on their table. When we can thrive here, when we can say that home is stable, then, then we can go out and lend a hand. But if we can't make sure, you know, it's like taking advice about marriage from somebody that's been divorced seven times. Right. That's, <laughs> after, that's the truth. After a while, it just doesn't make any darn sense. Right. And, and I and I truly believe that another analogy, I mean, I am now the 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 man in the church that passes the the, 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 the offering plate to the next person. I, I can't afford to put anything in it because I have to, I have to look after my family first. Every dollar helps with my family and people, people want the same thing. They say the same thing. I need to support my family at all costs. Well, the president of the United States, the Congress, the house, the Senate, their family should be the American people, because without the American people, we have no country to govern and life as we know it would just dissolve. So I, we, I, I agree. we have to turn, turn the narrative around and, and get the corruption out of Washington and get someone, if not me, who is passionate about the people and wants to see the people become the priority. 
And I think that is a beautiful note to end on. This interview far exceeded my expectations. I knew it was going to be a good one, but Anthony, you blew me away again and again. Randy, you had some incredible questions. Before we officially end, does anybody have anything they'd like to say? I do real quick before we let these guys come in. I, I think Americans are tired of being told what they need by our government. It's time that we ask, what do you want? And if we, if we think about that and we're ready and prepared to sit down and listen, we can change this country, we can change history, and we can save our future. And that, that's all I have to say. I think that is a stellar statement. Anybody else before we close? You know, I'd like to say thank you as well for coming on board, um, giving the opportunity for this interview. Um, Anthony, I think you're going to be an amazing, amazing benefit to the United States of America. And again, we're here to assist you with whatever you need. I appreciate that so much. And right now what we need, uh, we have a website, anthonyhudson2k24.com, where you can read my bio, get to know a little bit about me. But we have also opened up our campaign to anyone in this country that wants to participate and help on a voluntary basis uh, to help us get where we need, to help us raise money. Uh, We have a merchandise store on the website. We have a donation section on our website. We are available to you because we are from you and we want to represent you. And AnthonyHudson2K24.com is, is, is the place to go. And you can reach out and send us an email. And I will ensure you that someone will get back to you. It may take a few days because of the volume, but you will be answered and you will be heard. I'll be sure to link that website in the bio when I post this on YouTube and, of course, on my TikTok. I'll be sure to link your socials because I think you have an important message. I think that... I think that people are ready to hear what you're going to say. And I think you're going to have a ton of support. Gentlemen, I thank you so much for joining me today for the first ever episode of Coffee with Shannon. It has been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait to do it again.